I'm Stephen Foskett from Gestalt IT, and this is the On-Premise IT Roundtable Podcast. Today's premise is all about Kubernetes. We're wondering, is this just a flash in the pan? So to kick things off, I'm gonna turn it over to James Green. And uh, James, what do you think? Well, so we were here, some of us anyway, earlier this week at OpenStack Summit, and now we're wrapping up the first day of this tech field day, and I think almost everywhere we've been this week, uh, we've been hearing about Kubernetes. And so my first question to you guys is just, um, with as exciting as it seems to be right now, is that going to continue to be the trend, or is it a flash in the pan, Kubernetes? So I'll start off by saying Kubernetes certainly has the lead at the moment. Uh, as has been proven many times over, is the first one to market is the most mature at the moment remain that way forever? Not necessarily, right? How many times have we seen the number two or number three come along and perfect things, so to speak? Apple was famously did this with things like the iPod, the iPhone, etc. So, well, yes, Kubernetes has the most functionality. It certainly has the most deployments today. Does that mean that it will continue to lead forever? Not necessarily. Yeah, and it's got the, I mean, that's the thing. It's got the mind share. It's been pretty hilarious going to conferences in 2017 and seeing everyone talking Kubernetes, no matter what the topic of the conference is. I mean, heck, I think that you could probably go to the, you know, I don't know, mainframe COBOL conference and they would be saying, you know, and by the way, yes. we've got a Kubernetes session coming up, you know. Well, I mean, the big, the big problem with Kubernetes still, I think, and you probably know as well, is it's the installation. I mean, being able to get this up and running and, and, and functional in a state that's stable and easily to maintain. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I, and it's funny you say that, right? Because this week was OpenStack Summit. Yeah. What's been OpenStack's number one detractor the over same the years, exact right? Thing. Install and upgrade. Exactly. So will they learn lessons from their predecessors, right? Which exactly. there's a lot of similar functionality that exists inside of there, yeah. right? There's an argument to be made that, uh, okay, I work for a storage company, right? The persistence paradigms, right? That yep. exists inside of Kubernetes mimic a lot of what's happening inside of the OpenStack ecosystem. True. So you hear about those two technologies in tandem quite a bit. Is the success of one or the other in the market dependent on the other? Or, uh, you know, if, if OpenStack ceases to be as important as it has been the last couple of years, does Kubernetes go with it? Or um, just by nature of the number of other things that Kubernetes does, is it okay? I think, um, I think Kubernetes could help OpenStack, but I don't know that Kubernetes will depend on OpenStack to survive, I think is the way that I would sum that up. Um, I think OpenStack stands to gain a lot of ground, and I think Kubernetes could help orchestrate, you know, help getting, you know, stabilizing that deployment, what we were talking about a little bit a minute ago. Uh, but I don't know that Kubernetes itself is going to live and die by OpenStack. I think it's going it's, it's got support for so many other different things at this point. Yeah, I think short term, right, they're both sort of poaching from the same application pool, right? Yeah. They both target cloud native applications. So long term, are cloud native applications successful, I think is going to ultimately be the question. And then the secondary one is, Okay, does OpenStack remain successful? Is Kubernetes independently successful or dependent on that? I think ultimately that's going to be dependent on whether or not a development team, an applications team, adopts containers as their deployment paradigm. And second to that, do the operators, the infrastructure teams that are supporting these things, trust something like a Kubernetes versus an OpenStack, right, in order to provide that infrastructure, support that infrastructure, manage that infrastructure, right, all of those types mm -hmm. of things. What, what do you guys, what do you think drove the fad with Kubernetes so much, or the others? 
That's a good question. Well, I mean, what, what, what yeah, because there you, are others. Let me, the I thing. mean, there's and plenty of others. Why don't somebody, it doesn't have to be you, uh, somebody hit that before you answer that question. If it's not going to be Kubernetes, what are other yeah. options for people? Well, you've got Mesos, know? I guess. You've got yep. Mesos, you've got Docker Swarm. I was very surprised, Sully, at your, uh, your chart earlier that you showed to see Swarm and uh, Mesos so far down the list, especially with uh, Build Your Own being number two. So uh, what, wow. are, what are some of the things you see facilitating, especially the Build Your Own movement, as opposed to something like a swarm that I, or a Mesos that I figured would have, uh, you know, good market share at yeah. this point with the Docker backing. Yeah. So build your own is really vague, right? And I, I think what at least the OpenStack user survey when it lumps build your own together, we're really talking about things like Bash scripts or arguably even Puppet and Chef and the other desired state configuration tools that are just scheduling containers out against a virtual machine. So you're replacing a puppet manifest that is saying install these RPMs and configure these things with just deploy this container. Would you throw a PowerShell DSC in there as well? So remember desired states versus container scheduling versus application deployment. Okay, sure. Yes, right, potentially, but you got to squint a little bit. Yeah. Um, so what's driven Kubernetes success this thus far? Uh, honestly, I think it's Google's charisma, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's like, the yeah. cool Google factor. The yeah, Google thing, but yeah. people like Kelsey Hightower out yeah. there, right, beating, beating the streets, right, knocking on doors, right, keeping everybody's interest up there, right, Google being a fantastic community member, right, they donated Kubernetes to the CNCF, right, they are accepting submissions, right, PRs from people all across the community, they're responding to the needs. Uh, I think that speaks volumes when we start to take a look at what application, especially cloud-native guys, are looking at. They're used to AWS. They're used to Azure. Where it's really going to start to get interesting is transitioning from a pre-production environment, right, or an application team supporting a production environment, right? I've asked a lot of virtualization admins, hey, how many how many virtual machines are your apps guys requesting, right? Are they still requesting the 10, 20, 30 VMs a week that they used to? Or has it settled down a little bit? And suddenly they've got a Kubernetes cluster running on top of those, and they're deploying it all themselves. So I think as that pushes down the stack, down to the operations guys, and they have their requirements, right? Apps guys look at, how do I deploy a new feature? How do I fix this bug? Operations guys look at, how do I keep it running? How do I figure out what went wrong when it inevitably does, right? How do I recover from that going wrong? So what are the tools that support those things? VMware famously made it really easy to figure that out. For the people that don't know, where does the line between Kubernetes and infrastructure start and stop? Where, where do you need an infrastructure management team versus uh, application deployment or container management, things of that nature that kind of Kubernetes is known for? Where is that line? So the fuzzy line is the operating system, right? Okay. I mean, it's, it's Linux. So are you responsible for the operating system and up or the operating system and down? Okay. That's kind of the way it looks now. So we've seen is the, that dependent on like whether or not your app needs kernel access, kind of. So kernel modification automatically makes it a suspicious target for containerization at this time. True. Yeah, right? that's fair. Because yeah. remember, containers are a shared kernel model. So if I got to load a module, it's going to get hard real quick. Yeah, but maybe he means like libraries and um, tools and so on. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is you need a DevOps team, right? Yeah, or you know. The more DevOps in the title, the better, right? <laughs> I get paid by the buzzword. I don't exactly, know about you guys. Exactly. So you said VMware famously made it easy to deploy and manage virtual machines. Is there room for a company um, to make the same thing happen with Kubernetes where, say, um, like uh, Platform 9, who's helping people who don't have the skill set or desire to deploy and manage this stuff, um, they're making it easier to do. Is there room for a company like that to uh, 
exist for the long term and make it feasible for people who it otherwise wouldn't be? Because I think, and let me kind of tag a question on there, is part of the reason why Build Your Own is so high up on the list that the people who have the capability to actually make something like Kubernetes work figure we can just do it ourselves and it'll already be exactly what we need instead of trying to make Kubernetes work that, the way we need it. Yeah. You know, um, so, yeah. I, so the first one, right, I think that that's already happening. Right? We see Tectonic. Tectonic is CoreOS plus Kubernetes with support. Right? We see Platform 9. We see now OpenShift, right, which yeah. is Red Hat's yeah. Kubernetes plus plus. Yeah. So we're already starting to see those supported Kubernetes, right? those uh, managed Kubernetes services, if you will, and making it easier to deploy those things. You know, OpenStack was kind of early to that game, things like Project Magnum, right, where I can go in and using heat orchestration deploy a bunch of Nova instances and layer Kubernetes on top of it. Yep. Um, we've started to see heat peter out. It never really took off in any substantial way, but it's started to peter out from where it was even. Um, so is that going to go anywhere? It's hard to tell, um, but I, I think that much like we are seeing more and more managed OpenStack services now, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that happening. Now, the managed, or the, excuse me, the roll your own type of deployment paradigms, I'm starting to wonder if this isn't, um, it's not a lift and shift type application, right? In other words, so if I am a software company, right, and I am creating a, a Linux-based software package, Previously, I write all my code, and then I put it into a .deb, I put it into an RPM, I put it into all these different packagers. And then I say, okay, I need to test against six, uh, CentOS 6.1234567891, how many CentOS yeah. are we up to, right? All the RELs, all the SUSEs, all the Ubuntus, all the Debians, right? Or I put it into a Docker container. Yeah, and I yeah. say, hey, so long as your host is running Docker, we're good to go. Right, so is this simply software vendors repackaging their, their applications, right, or even custom in-house developed applications being repackaged to ultimately not be any different except abstracting the deployment? Yeah, I think that yeah. to your point, there's a, there's a point where um, uh, maybe the maturation of the, of the industry and the adoption of things like containers and orchestration engines, you'll start to see some of those move up as more non-savvy, non, I don't want to call them super geeks, but I'm, one, I, I'm a geek myself, so I'll, I'll throw that in there, that can sit there and write their own code and their own scripts and everything. That might be why the prevalence is so high, but as the industry shifts as a whole more towards this, this direction, I think we'll see some of the more pre-installed, you know, next, next, finish kind of uh, installations start mm -hmm. to come in, and I think that's what will really move it forward. Right now, you really still have to live at a command line. Uh, and be able to write your own kind of YAML files and, and parameters and whatnot. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm really the, wondering what the impact Microsoft is going to have here. Uh, I think Nano, I think Nano and Azure uh, could have a huge impact. Yeah. I'm wondering if they're going to roll their own sort of orchestration engine rather yeah. than leveraging. And I think Kubernetes. they will, but I think the reason is because, like OpenStack, I think Kubernetes is just too big. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if it's really possible to make it a small to big solution because it was it was designed for mega and yeah. then and it's been certainly pulled down to merely large but i'm wondering if you know you're talking about using like kubernetes in like an application install from a vendor is that really practical well, um to to have it be you know i mean think think about the size the real size of most even mid-sized business applications is it really practical to have all that 
You're talking so, about deploying a I full guess, Kubernetes. Yeah. 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 I mean, to be clear, yeah. I was more referring to just containerization, not necessarily yeah. okay. orchestration yeah. being that deployment mechanism. But yeah, because I'm with you on containerization, because yeah. I think that's one of the things people overlook with Docker. The reason I love Docker is because I can keep all the libraries and supporting you know revisions of everything contained, literally. And, and and I can run like the right version of Python or the right version of Ruby or the right version of even like Java or whatever and not have it, you know, screw up the rest of the system by having to install some back revved version. Um, and that is fantastic. I am right there with you on that. And I think containers are going to totally rule the world because of that. But what about Kubernetes? Does Kubernetes rule the world? So, I mean, one of the big challenges that I think OpenStack has had as a project is... OpenStack's too big. ...decision yeah. by committee. Mm -hmm. And thus far, Google still holds... One, they're holding up to their mantra of don't be evil, right? They're acting in the community's interest, but they are actually making the decisions, right? They are driving things forward as opposed to a lot of OpenStack projects where it's a group of 5, 10, 20 people who have to... Nobody has to disagree before a decision is made, and sometimes that's pretty hard. Larry, um, I know that you've been doing some pretty big work in this space recently, but all, all of you guys um, have more of an infrastructure-focused background, at least recently. I want to ask you, how do people who are infrastructure-focused now or have been need to be thinking about this stuff? I mean, I've spent a lot. I mean, you know, I do come from a developer's background, um, but I've spent the last... 15 years probably in infrastructure and, and probably the last three um, coming back to development and infrastructure as code and CI pipelines and just the whole, you know, you name it, automation. Um, you know, I try to spend as much time with people that are especially traditional core infrastructure guys because they're very, very hard to, to break um, to get them into methodologies of, of going down this route, um, being able to use Vagrant and things. You know what I'm I, I share this stuff. Try to get them to think in a different different mode of how they do things, right? Um, it's, you know, I use the example of instead of hacking your way through things, put it in code. You know, being able to use Docker and, and containers and things like that to test methods, things like that. Well, so we had a little conversation off to the side yeah. right before the podcast started recording about automation and... Yes why there's some resistance to automation, particularly on our, among yeah. operations guys, right? I've worked with customers who say, we refuse to automate because Andrew can go and break one server at a time. Automation breaks hundreds of servers at a time. Break all the servers. <laughs> so sometimes it's, you know, operations guys who have been burnt, who have been hurt before and, and had those late night calls or long weekends because of a typo, they learn that, that lesson the hard way and then suddenly and they're hopefully skittish. Only yeah, and that, right. and, that, and that was the core to the recent, the podcast we did is DevOps a disaster. The, the, the core of that was it's not inherently a disaster, but it's a disaster if there's really no infrastructure operations knowledge and wisdom yeah. passed into it. And you so know what I mean? And that's the problem. And, and that's what I see day in and day out is, is you have, uh, I'm trying to say, think the best way to say it, you have those that are new school, right? Um, they don't have the same background mm -hmm. in infrastructure that most of us have, right? Is that right. fair? Yeah. Um, which is a very different. Yeah. Um, it, it's not a bad thing, but being able to get the two to play together, you know, the old schoolers and the new schoolers, and, mm -hmm. and kind of work through and get those methodologies together that work. So, for example, well, is, is that a 
Is that the role of a DevOps team, if such a thing exists? Is that the role of an SRE, right? Is to bridge <laughs> that gap? It's funny because I've heard the same things, the I've same questions a, in the last couple weeks, actually, yeah. months. I've kind of got a leg yeah. on each fence. I, yeah. I, I, I am a, an older infrastructure guy, sure. I embrace virtualization, but at the same time, I can see you. I think, Sully, you brought it up in your presentation earlier about uh, people got tired of being told no. And I think that's a real thing. And I personally will, you know, it, in a way, it's a defiant sort of, well, I know how to do this stuff anyway, so I'm going to go write a few lines of code and, exactly. and do it without Mr. Storage Administrator because he's just, you know, doing that. But I have written some really buggy VB scripts that has brought down, you know, big servers and stuff like that. So at the same time, I, I, I kind of understand. I kind of respect and appreciate the how it's going to move the industry forward. But... Yeah, at the same time, I'm a little hesitant um, because I know how fragile infrastructure can be, and you know you have to be careful. You can't just let a developer just push well, it straight to production, yeah. right? Yeah, That's and developers, the if they're responsible for production, developers <clears throat> like to solve things at the application layer because yeah. that's where they have control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if they can solve an infrastructure problem at the application layer, even if it gets really messy and really just uncomfortably inefficient, right? That's what they're going to do. Yep. But, but then you run into buffer overruns, memory leaks, exactly. all kinds of ugly yeah. shit that brings exactly. structure yeah. down. But from yeah. their perspective, they stay in control, right? Exactly. Well, yeah. um, that's about all we've got time for, unfortunately. So I'm going to turn it back over to Stephen to close us out, and all we'll right. be done. Well, thank you, James. Um, I uh, hope you enjoyed this conversation. And again, this did kind of turn into a sequel of the DevOps disaster uh, fiasco. <laughs> um, so I'm, I, uh, if you're interested in uh, listening to that one, shit? yeah, yeah, it, it has, okay. it has. It's in... Uh, uh, go into the archives, gestaltit.com slash podcast. Uh, there's the archives, and you'll find that one in there. Uh, we're publishing a new episode every second Tuesday, so I hope you enjoyed this, and I hope you'll subscribe and listen in next time. The On-Premise IT Roundtable is once again brought to you by Gestalt IT, home to IT coverage from across the enterprise. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Gestalt IT, and at facebook.com slash gestaltit. Very original. The On-Premise IT Roundtable is produced by Rich Straffolino. That's me. Until next time, from all of us here at Gestalt IT, have a super sparkly day.